I'm Kamara Holloway, and I'm the project manager for the Romier Bearden Catalog Resume. It's April 17th, 2023, and I'm interviewing Gerald Melberg, a gallery owner and curator who knew Romier Bearden. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. I am very delighted. Okay, so to begin, we want to get a sense of your background. So we'd like to know when and where were you born? I was uh, born in a log cabin. <laughs> oh, I'll try to behave. I actually, people won't believe this when I tell them, but I was born and raised in Lake Wobegon. You ever heard of Lake Wobegon? I believe I have. Garrison Keeler, Prairie Home Companion? Yes. Well, there's a little town 30 miles north of Minneapolis called Anoka, A-N-O-K-A. And that's the little town I'm from. And it's a town that Garrison Keeler is from. And it is the real town that Lake Wobegon is based on. Lake Wobegon itself is fictitious. But I just like to say that because I grew up in a really wonderful small town far enough north of Minneapolis to be its own entity and not be a suburb. And um, it was a great upbringing. I rode my bike to, I had one grandmother that lived a quarter of a mile away and another grandmother that lived just close to her. So I, I would ride my bikes to my grandmother's homes and um, go to the swimming pool. It was just a, a great place to grow up. So I'm a, I'm a Midwestern boy. Okay. And um, what were your parents, uh, what did they do? My parents, uh, frankly, I, I came from a lower middle income family. Sometimes I think I still do, I still am. But um, my mother was a homemaker and a terrible cook. And my father was the custodian at the high school I went to. Not what you want, that your dad's a janitor where you go to high school. It was difficult. Um, and uh, my my parents were really good people, but my parents did not understand. They didn't understand me or the first time my parents were ever in an art gallery or a museum was when I took them. My, uh, see, I'm, uh, this is almost like I'm talking to my psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> Well, how how did you discover art when you were a child? You know, that's a very good question. And I've been thinking about that. Um, my first wife, who is deceased, um, was an artist. And I actually, I was trained, I, I went to... Uh, went to college to become an actor. I, I, I majored in dramatic production, oral interpretation of prose, 
stage acting. And I, I did some, I did some, you know, local, regional kind of stuff. And I still say I'm an actor every day. Aren't all of us? We're all actors in every day in a particular way. So, um, so when did you get the theater bug? You know, again, maybe it was the day I knew I was not a mathematician. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure exactly how. That's, you know, back in those days, they were, we were just getting electricity. It seems like I'm, I was born in 1948. This August, I'll be 75 years old. Okay. And I'm, I'm still here and I'm still doing it. Um, did you like music or did you like, did you see any paintings or anything when you were growing up? Growing up, the only music I really knew were church hymns because my my parents and my upbringing was in a very conservative Baptist, believe it or not, environment. Okay. And that's part of the reason why my, uh, you know, there was there was one time I was, by this time I was living in either, maybe it was, when I first came to the South, I was in South Carolina, but then I was up visiting home really, I should say, visiting my parents because it really wasn't home any longer. But um, I'm sitting at the kitchen table while my mother was busy in the kitchen. And she said to me something that was really profound for her. She said, I, I feel like I don't know you anymore. I don't know who you are. I don't know who your friends are. I don't know your activities. And I said, Mom, ask me absolutely anything you want, and I will tell you the truth, but don't ask anything you don't want to know, which I thought was profound on both our parts, actually. Um, we're, we're starting off in a really strange place here. Oh, We'll get to Bearden eventually. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, we just wanted to know if you had discovered, you know, art and whether or not. Um, well, because my first wife was an artist. And yes. that was, uh, you know, I started out helping her stretching canvases, all that sort of stuff. And I, uh, I got a, a, a a long, long, really circuitous history that I kind of do my best to sometimes forget, which okay. is. Uh... Well, that's fine. Um, you can tell me when you. I, mean, I came to Charlotte. I was in Greenville, South Carolina. And through some people that I, I met, I was working in an art gallery in, in Greenville. One, you wouldn't know it at all. 
And um, through a set of circumstances, I heard that there was an opening for a curator at the Mint Museum. And I applied. There were 52 applicants. And the director of the museum interviewed three. And Kamara, to this day, as I sit here with you right now, I still have no idea why they hired me because there must have been better qualified candidates. But he liked my attitude and my uh, willingness to get in there and get things done. So I took this job. At the time, my title was Curator of Exhibitions. And at that time, the Mint Museum was a very different organization. There was, uh, I think, an entire staff of 12 or 14. And this was before any of the construction of the well, you've seen the new building, but I don't know if you've seen the other, the older building as well. But that's no, the uh, Ran Randolph building. I haven't Randolph, seen it. Yes. Yeah. And that that just had when I was there, it was the very first original building, and it's had an, an addition. And then of course there's the new uptown mint. But um, I I was there. I was working on some assigned projects when I first started going and getting there. And uh, there was a staff meeting and the director said, well, we need some, uh, we need some new exhibition ideas. And at that point, I obviously it, it would be difficult, it would be, no, it would be impossible to be in the arts in Charlotte, North Carolina and not know who Romare Bearden was. That's just a given. And okay. so I did know who Bearden was. And um, I suggested in a staff meeting that we should uh, consider doing a, a, a major exhibition for him. And the director liked the idea, the staff liked the idea, and the director at the time, his name was Milton Block, B-L-O-C-H. He is, to this day, he's one of my heroes. To this day, I will sometimes make decisions in my own business, and I will stop and say, how would Milton handle this? That's how important he was in my life. So, you know, uh, so you were in Charlotte and you heard about Bearden and you wanted to do an exhibition. And I suggested this. The, the director Milton said, "Okay, it's your football. Okay, go run with it." So I started thinking about it more and looking more and more into Bearden. And of course, there was the uh, nineteen. Was it 70? Maybe even a little earlier, the, the first retrospective at the Museum of Modern Art. Right. And given the size of the Mint Museum at the time and the staff at the time, I decided that we would do a show that would begin where the Museum of Modern Art show ended. And so our show was. 1970 to 1980. 
So it was that that decade. Okay. And so I started doing a lot of research and and I said to the director, I need I need to go to New York. I need to to go meet Mr. Bearden. So I went up. I had an appointment at the time. He was represented by Cordier and Ekstrom Gallery, which I know you've heard of. Yes, of course. Yes. And the gallery was in the building on uh, was it on Park or Mattis Park, that at the time was the Sotheby Park Bennett building. Okay. And the gallery was in that building. And so I had an appointment with Mr. Ekstrom and with Bearden. And we met, and I was scared to death. But <laughs> it was a very cordial first meeting. It wasn't formal, but it wasn't informal. It was just a, so Beard and I talked. What did you think of him when you first met him? What was your impression? I found him to be friendly. I've often said that Romy would, would intimidate me without knowing that he was doing so because he was whip smart. He really was. And um, he was kind. I've been quoted as saying that the, you know, he was as, as kind to a human being as he was on the to the pigeons on his windowsill. And um, his learn about him, how I met him, impressions of him. Um, I started coming up to New York, and you have to understand, in these days, this was 76, 77 that I'm starting to work on the show. There are no computers. There are no cell phones. I would talk to Romy on the phone. Of course, there's no email. And so we'd, we'd set an appointment and I would arrive on at Canal Street, 357 Canal. And I would call him from the, the payphone at the corner and say, Romy, I'm here. And okay, so then he will come, he'd come, come down and let me in. And um, it was a it was a walk up. It was either the second or third floor. It was uh, very modest. It was he and Nanette and the cats. I'm sure you know about the cats. Yes. <laughs> and um, then we would uh, we would then start meeting at the studio in Long Island City, which was a uh, like a three or four story kind of warehouse building. And I'd meet him there and go up to his studio. And it was literally just a, a door in a hallway of this building. And it said, Romeo Bearden on the door. And I would knock and Romeo would let me in and uh, 
the studio was amazing because it was waist high with magazines and books that that he would uh, cut out and find the image that he was looking for. So you got to watch him work? I did actually watch him work somewhat, but um, not a lot, because he, he really did work alone. I do know that he had a, uh, of course, it would be a landline telephone at the time that he had hidden in the studio because he didn't want Nanette to know he had a phone. And I'd, I'd see works in progress. We, we'd talk about them. And then I'd watch him. You know, he'd, he'd put, a, he'd put a, an image down. Uh, he'd put Elmer's glue on it. And then he would um, place the image where he wanted it. And then he'd use a brayer to kind of squeegee out the extra glue. And then he'd look at it and he'd peel it off because he wanted to put it in a little different position. So those those sorts of I did get to witness those kinds of decision making. Um, he we used to go to lunch. He had a little favorite Chinese place a block or two from the studio. So we'd he'd always say, "Well, come around eleven thirty so we can look around the studio and then go have some some lunch." And Romy, I don't need to tell you about his his upbringing and his time and all of that. But by the time I knew him, early seventies, Bearden knew who he was. He knew his place. He knew his status. He wore it comfortably. He did not wear it egotistically at all. But there was one thing. And I think it was just, it was part of his, not so much for me or other people, but for himself that he, he, you know, he always wore those blue coveralls. Yes. And they had big pockets in the front. And when he would never, never let me buy. It was part of the fact that he has, he's able to do it. And he would pull, he'd reach into the pocket of those coveralls and he'd pull out a wad of cash like this. And, and peel off a $20 bill. And it was, I think for Romy, it was his way of saying, I can do this. I am able to do this. I have, I, 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 I am an artist of stature and I can sell my works of art and buy Gerald's lunch. So, uh, I saw him do that more than once. We, uh, he was very, 
amenable to my doing the exhibition for the most part. Yeah. Parts of it, he, he wasn't quite so willing. And I, I, if I'm going to tell you everything, I need to tell you everything, right? Sure. We are very curious of what you can tell us. Well, when I was trying to decide which pieces to put in this 10-year retrospective, and do you have a copy of that catalog you must have? Yes. They're tough to find, believe me. I don't know if I told you, four or five years ago, I was in the, the old Whitney, and I was in the bookshop, and there were three copies of that catalog in the Whitney bookshop. I bought them as quickly as I could because they're just impossible to find. And it was pretty cool for me to see that in the Whitney bookshop. Let's admit yeah. it. Okay. So um, we're, we're, we're looking at works and we're trying to compile a, 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 you know, a listing, not a catalog raise, no, but, but it was close for that 10 year period. Yes, that's a very useful list. It should be a very useful list for you. Yes. And um, as we're th going through this process, I we were we would be in this in the apartment, and he had a big desk, and I was sitting on the other side of the desk, and I'm saying, well, well, first of all, I, I had been given a lot of information from Mr. Ekstrom. He kept pretty good records. Romy, on the other hand, did not. And there were times he would say, well, do we have to include this one? I said, well, Romy, I, I have to, if we're going to do this right. He said, well, I, I kind of... Uh, Bought that. I sold that one to somebody without Mr. Extra knowing. But I said, "Well, Romy, we have to." So we would we would sit there, and he would go through. He had four or five old um, address books that were stuffed and had a bit. Each one had a rubber band around it. And they were, and so he'd he'd thumb through them and uh, said, "Well." Uh, this this person bought something, and I I'd get their name and what address Romy had, and so that's how I started compiling. Uh, so that's how we started compiling the list, focusing down. I uh, went to several collectors' homes to see works while I was doing this. I dealt with uh, private collectors in Atlanta. I dealt with the uh, uh, Gerald, help me out, the gallery in Cleveland. And uh, there was an, another place. Oh, yes. This gentleman was wonderful. He, he, was, he was in Detroit. I'm trying to think of his name. Are you thinking of Sheldon Ross? Sheldon Ross. Thank you. Shelly and I became good friends. 
I, I, you have to, you have to forgive me because I, I suffer from a CRS disease. You know what CRS is? No. Can't remember. <laughs> that is, don't all of us suffer from that occasionally? Yes, yes. But you're doing good. We're and I'm enjoying what you're telling us. So you're how are you picking the works? I mean, you said the 1970s, but what so I, made I, I, you well, I began with the fact that we were going to limit our because we were going to do the show in October of 80. And I had decided early on that we would not rehash what MoMA had done at that point, that we were just going to concentrate on this 10-year period. And that was a that was a actually a very good decision. And then I wanted to try to include all of the different series and all of the uh, and Romy and I would work on that together and at this point I'd have back in those days we had three by five transparencies which are antique at this day but and so Romy and I would spread out these transparencies on that same desk and look at them and I said well what do you think Romy between you know for the, these four Mecklenburg County ones which one do you, would you prefer seeing? And we would have those sorts of back and forth discussions. Do you have any insight as to what, why he would pick a certain work over another? No, not really. Okay. Not really. He would just, um, you know how that is. Or human nature is that you're going to gravitate toward your personal favorite. I would do that. He would do that. You're probably doing it when you look at Bearden's. Yes, definitely. So uh, this is my this is my copy. We it was a it was a paperback book. You have to you also you have to understand this was 1978 79, and getting and color printing. Getting things done was very different. Budgets were very different. I, I, to this day, I'm really so disappointed that we were not able to do this whole catalog in color. But we, the director and I had this idea, and we had a dozen or 15 of them hardbound. This is my prized, prized possession can you see this yes for gerald with great appreciation romare may 1985 charlotte yes wonderful so uh someday this copy will need to go to somebody um Maybe the WPI or maybe to <laughs> um, uh, Archives of American Art, maybe to the Mint Museum, one of those. Yeah. But 
for now, it's still going to sit right here on my bookshelf, and I, I treasure it, and I look at it with some frequency. Yes. But um, I, I have to tell you about um, Philip Morris. Okay. You know their involvement? Yeah, I know that they were involved, but I don't know the details. Well, they were, um, again, this was mid-late 70s. And believe it or not, when they sponsored the show, there's different couple parts of how they sponsored it. For the opening at the Mint, they had, true story, they had three or four cigarette ladies with trays of cigarettes with those, you remember the little, like six cigarettes in a little pack? Yes. Ever seen? Yeah. And they would be handing them out. That's how different it is than today. When um, we negotiated, myself and the Milton, the director, we did a lot of negotiation with Philip Morris, from, uh, including one of the things they insisted upon were the cigarette ladies, which we didn't like, but so they gave us a grant of $50,000. Now, okay. mind you, at, at that point, that's an enormous amount of money. Yes. And it was that grant that allowed us to do the show, allowed me to travel, allowed me to go see all the works and make several trips to New York to, to see Romy. But I've always thought it was kind of curious that Philip Morris spent a great deal of money telling everybody that they had given us the grant in the fact that they did full page ads in Time Magazine. They've got to, those ads have got to be somewhere in somebody's archives, probably Time, if nothing else. And they would, um, it, it was, we found it a, a little humorous that they'd, they spent $250,000 advertising that they gave us 50. Now they didn't, nobody knew the amounts, we did, but mm -hmm. it was, it was kind of humorous. Yeah. That, had they ever done anything like that before, um, sponsoring? I don't know. I'm sure they've done other exhibitions. Yeah. And when we were organizing the show, something I found out early on in my career at the Mint is, uh, you know, if I had uh, if not a beard show, another show at the museum, and I'd have a an eight thousand dollar budget for a 12-week show. So I started collaborating with other museums. And I'd say, okay, I'll charge you a $5,000 rental fee. And I'd get three other museums. So all of a sudden, instead of having a 
$8,000 budget. I had a $23,000 budget. And um, that's what we did with the Bearden Show. I negotiated, it went to Jackson, Mississippi, um, Richmond, Virginia, and you'd think I'd remember, wouldn't you? CRS. CRS. Okay. Yes, Baltimore. Opened at the mid October 12, 1980. Then it went to Mississippi, then to Baltimore, and then to Richmond. During the course of the tour, the Brooklyn Museum came forward and, say, and said, is there any possible way we could add another museum? Which we were thrilled to do, especially given the fact that it was gonna give it a, a, a New York City venue. Right. So um, it took a lot of doing to convince collectors who had already had to be convinced to let it be gone for the uh, almost a year for the first four locations. So, um, but we were able to do it. And I was able to attend the opening at all of those venues. Were some of the were collectors? Were there a lot of collectors in Charlotte at the time, or were they from outside? There were some in Charlotte, yes. Okay. Yes, but there were, as you might suspect, the majority was in New York City, which made it a little easier for me to see things. So. I'd have my list and I'd make appointments with people and I'd go from cab ride to cab ride. Of course, you have to understand at that point, you know, to go from uh, 32nd Street to 72nd Street would cost you $2.70. <laughs> Not now. Not now, no. Was there any work that you really wanted to have in the show but couldn't get? As I recall, there probably must have been. I can't give you one specific. There are some that I desperately, desperately did want to have and was able to have, which were uh, like uh, the one on the cover, Model Sleet's Magic Garden. What a spectacular work of art. Uh, patchwork quilt from the Museum of Modern Art, and of course, and I don't, have you seen photos of the installation at the Met Museum? No, just the photo of Romy and Nanette. I think I've just seen. So you've not seen inst well the not Mint, installation but, photographs. No, the, the Mint has got to have some install photos of that show. And we somehow convinced the Metropolitan to loan us the block. We were the only venue. It wouldn't go to the other ones, but we did have it in Charlotte. And I was, okay. that was, that was thrilling, thrilling. Yeah. You know, there's, there's so many great works. 
in the garden, of course, Carolina Shout. Yes. Which is now at the Mint. Which is now, in and of itself, has become an icon. Yes. I'm, I'm just kind of paging through this as I'm, as I'm, oh, there wasn't, there, there was a little controversy because we had a couple of uh, prudish board members. Oh, okay. And as you know, there's two or three of them that are the, the one probably that caused the most ruckus was the one called Electric Evening. Right. And Dream Images, Hidden Valley, they were more um, silhouette nudes, but still. And uh, there were there were a few brutish people, but the director of the museum just said, get over it. Okay. However, I must tell you, this is very sad for me. There was one board member who just dug in his heels and said, and said, what is the Mint Museum doing this show for? Why is the museum doing this show for a black man? And do you know what happened? He was asked to resign from the board. Okay. The rest of the board got together and said, there's no place for you here. So there was definitely uh, support from the board to have Romy was, sort of come home. There was tremendous support to come home. What was the audience like for the show? I mean, it sounds like you had a big overwhelming. Crowd. Yeah. Yes. I don't know if, if you've read my my little part of the catalog intro and acknowledgments. I was kind of pleased with this this statement of mine. It was the last paragraph of my introduction, and I said the realization of. Romare Bearden at the Mint Museum is an accomplishment which can rightfully make Carolina shout an expectation as well as the title of a Bearden collage. Nice. And, um, so now I have to talk a moment that I think you've heard me say I loved Romare Bearden. Yeah. Uh, he became such an important part of my life just because I organized the show. Yes, of course, that was part of it. But because that I, I got to know the man and in and even in occasion I, I would uh, I would see his shortcomings. We all have them. And um he he was I I often said that if Romare Bearden had one fault, he was too generous. He was too generous. And 
he would be naive in his generosity because young artists would make an appointment to the studio and it became known if you were an artist and you went to visit Beard, you'd leave with something. Okay. And sometimes I think these young artists were more interested in leaving with something than they were getting to know the man, you know. Uh, I own half a dozen or eight beard and prints. I own a couple of important ones and I owned a really beautiful collage and it was a very difficult day for me. I sold it to be able to buy my house. So I've often said I live in, I live in the, my house because of Bearden, but. Um, Do you have a specific criteria for what you collect? Well, yeah, probably what I can afford. Okay. <laughs> you know that uh, it's kind of curious how I deal in and I sell works of art that I can't afford. That I can't afford personally, but I think that's the case with most dealers, you know. And um, I've sold the same Romare beard four times through the years. Okay. You know how that happens. It's either a death or divorce. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. And um, these these days, you know, uh, well, you know this as well better than I do. That there are very few beards out there in the marketplace. Right. And the foundation has very little. Again, I'm telling stories, but I think part of the reason for that is, you know, Nanette had, I think it was seven sisters. Yes. And when Romy became successful, these, how shall I say this? These sisters would come around and say, Romy, could you give me a collage? I need some money. And he would do it. And I think that's part of the reason there are very few in the foundation. Okay. Is that a, is that a terrible thing for me to say? No. If it, not, if it's true. <laughs> well, I know it on very good authority. So. Yeah. Yeah. I have a prepared lecture on beard that okay. I've given literally from. New York to California to Florida all over. And perhaps one of my favorite bearded stories. I should probably give you a copy of this lecture. Okay. I, I give it, I'm, I'm going to be giving it in, in Asheville in a couple of months. The Asheville Art Museum has requested 
my entire Bearden show that we have on view now to travel to them. Okay. And, um, and I, I talk about this in this lecture that uh, there's this, it's sometimes it's a little difficult for me to remember back, not because it's painful, but because because it is so he's in your heart, yes. But uh, I'm going to read you just a little bit of this because I think it's for me at least it's important. This is near the end of the my lecture. In October 1980, Romy had his retrospective which I had the honor of organizing at the Mint Museum, the city of his birth. People came from many parts of the country to celebrate Romy, New York, Chicago, Boston, other cities. It was a demonstration of the great love all these people had for Romy, the artist. Equally, it was a demonstration of the great love we all had for Romy, the person. The morning after the opening, Romy was scheduled to give a talk to a group of African-American school children in age from about nine to 12. Present were about 30 boys and girls and Romy, talking not down to them, but with them, and his gentle voice reaching to them and embracing them with his words. Hanging on the classroom walls were reproductions of Joshua Johnson, Henry Osawa Tanner, Horace Pippin, Jacob Lawrence, Charles White, Elizabeth Catlett. And he talked about the paintings tenderly and with veneration. And he talked not only about the paintings, but about the artists themselves, where they sprang from, the history of their period, and the lives they led. And when he said soberly, gently, embracing them with his words. And so you see, children, each of these painters had a beginning, but no real end, because they made a contribution to the painters that followed them. I knew that some of those children had a glimmer of what Romy was talking about, the continuation of life through a contribution in art. And this is where I was headed with this, was perhaps my favorite story about Romy. This can be further demonstrated through a letter I would like to read you. It is from Romy to a Charlotte grade school student. At the time it had just been given to me. Dear Clarence, Mrs. Shaw, one of your teachers, wrote me about your splendid talent for art. Since I am an artist, this pleased me very much. It's always nice to know of someone with your interests. Also, let me tell you that I was born in Charlotte when it was a sleepy little town, not the big city it is now. So you can understand it is especially warming to hear of someone from your own home who's doing so well, not only in his art endeavors, but all his subjects as well. One of the things about being an artist, Clarence, 
is that you don't have to deal with words. Our pictures explain the way we feel. Since in this case, I can't hate my feelings, let me say I'm proud of you and hope you'll enjoy this book of mine. Continue to make your mother and your teachers think, you, think as highly of you as they do now. Remember, always this talent you have has been given to you, entrusted to you. I'm going to intersect, uh, interject myself and say, remember, this is you're talking to a nine-year-old student. Remember, always this talent you have that has been given to you, entrusted to you, to have people see and feel and understand that world as you do. You have the insight which others of us are not blessed with your talent, do not have. However, when you share your talent with others, they too have the benefit of your blessing. As you continue, and I trust yours will be a long and fruitful life, that you will only be as good an artist as you are a human being. That's lovely. Kamira, I think that that tells you right there who that man was. Yes, definitely. And then this is the last couple sentences of my lecture. The world is poor for the loss of this noble, generous, greatly gifted human being. But what Romy said to those children that morning in Charlotte, and to Clarence in his letter is equally true of Romy. The continuation of life through a contribution in art, Romy's contribution is solid. He will continue to teach artists for a long time. His work will inform the totality of art for a long, long time. In this sense, Romir Bearden continues to live. Yes, definitely. And here's, I have this terrible Xerox in Romy's hand of the letter from Clarence. Oh, wonderful. You should probably have a copy of that too. Yeah, that needs to go to the archive, definitely. <laughs> I, I don't have any idea where the original letter is, but having, so you, I think your question was, is there one particular thing? And I, I would, there are so many, but when I, when I found that letter, I was, it was, it was actually given to me by another grade school teacher in Charlotte who said, Gerald, you should have a copy of this. For her, it didn't have the same meaning that it did for me, but I was so thrilled to receive it. Yeah. So, um, so maybe we can talk a little bit about your, um, about your gallery. Well, that will, Lead us back to Romy too, the same okay. time. 
Yes. What made you decide to open the gallery? I was happily working at the Mint Museum. Romy show was over and the Mint on Randolph Road was closing for almost a year because of renovations to the existing building and expansion. And that's that was the first expansion on Randolph Road. And so all the staff, a, a board member had a, a large office building that was vacant and he just gave the museum the building to use so that all the staff had a place to go and be. But at that time, I had a, a, a amazing woman who came to me and said, Gerald, and again, you have to remember this is Wow, 19, well, I founded the gallery, 84, 84. And she came to me and she said, I think Charlotte's ready for a good gallery. I think you should do it. The opportunity is there because you're, you know, the museum's gonna close for a year and it's a great time for you to transition. So I thought about it. I talked to two or three close friends. One, of course, being Milton Block, the director of the museum. And he said, Gerald, I understand completely. I think you're crazy. But at the same time, I wish you well. Just do not bring it inside the walls of the museum, which is a very fair statement. So I did a lot of research. I went to the Chamber of Commerce and got every book and every pamphlet on how to start a small business and how to raise money. And I didn't have any money. I mean, at that time, working for a small museum was, you know, making sure you pay your rent, kind of. And so this lady said, well, I can help you out some, but probably not enough to get you going. So I contacted a good friend. You may have heard his name. Uh, his name is Zach Smith. If you haven't heard it, you may eventually. He is he a col was, collector. He's a big time collector. He's was president of the board more than once. He was the chairman of the building committee for the uptown building well at, at the time i was 32 zach was 38 39 and he incorporated me helped me get going and so i came up with this idea that uh, i was trying to raise $100,000. And I had, uh, I would make appointments with people that I knew in the community. And I'd go sit on their sofa in their living room at 730 on a Tuesday night and say, um, here's what I want to do. 
here's how I want to do it. I, at that point, I put together the business plan. I still have it. I put together a list of prospective artists and I said, um, I'd like you to see your way clear to invest $20,000 with me. And some people said, Gerald, well, I can, I can put in, after remember, early 80s, that's still a lot of money. And they said, I can, I, I think I can, I can help you with 10. And somebody else would say, well, it's, it's not for me. And tell me later, they thought I was crazy. Yeah, but, okay. um, the way we structured it was that we, we sold stock and people put in, they put in half of their declared investment at the beginning, 25% six months later, 25% six months later. So the gallery would have two booster shots. Well, that, and I had raised $87,000. So it was fish or cut bait. So we went fishing and we put it together and we had our opening and it was huge. I'm, I'm very proud to tell you that I never took a second or third payment. And within a year, I paid everybody off at 40% uh, above their investment. That's how I did it. Yeah. I was an, an entrepreneur. I have often said my entire life, I've lived on the edge. That's what an entrepreneur does, I think. Yes, yes. And there so, are times that uh, times that it I've felt a little flush. And there are times that I've had to borrow against my house mortgage to keep going. It's what it takes. Yeah, but you've kept going for a long period of time. It'll be forty years next year. Yeah, we're going to do a big celebration. Okay. And what artists do you? Well, when I started, that leads me back around to Romy. I may have tell, told you this story, but I was, uh, we'd gotten all this put together and I was, again, having lunch with Bearden in the same Chinese restaurant that, that <laughs> he loved to go to. And again, buying, never one time did he allow me to buy. So we're sitting there having lunch and I said, well, Romy, I need to tell you that I'm going to be leaving the museum. And he looked at me and said, well, I, I've, al I've already heard. I said, well, then you've probably heard that I'm going to open a gallery in Charlotte. And he nodded and I said, Romy, it would be such a privilege and honor for me to represent you in your hometown. And he looked at me and said, I would be, I was going to be very disappointed if you did not ask. <laughs> so, so he supported the yes. venture. Yeah, that's wonderful. So since then, 
I've done seven or eight solo Bearden shows. Some of them, I think, actually quite important. I did one called uh, Romare Bearden, The Mother and Child, and it was obviously all different mother and child images. Spectacular. I did one called Romare Bearden, The Print, The Source, and I was able to gather 17 collages and the associated prints and hang them side by side. That Impressive. was a, yeah. That was a big deal and that took a lot of work. A lot of work to get those together. But it was pretty wonderful. Yeah. Romy uh, he he came to I think until he died almost he came to every opening that I had to come back to Charlotte. And there was one, and I, I need to find a, a photo of this for you too. But um, one of Bearden's best friends, maybe his best friend's friend was Al Murray. You yes. familiar with Murray? Yes. Novelist, essayist. Well, we had hired Al to write this major essay for this 1980 retrospective. And L was a serious character. And he submitted the essay to me, handwritten in pencil on legal pads. <laughs> but um, L helped Bearden a lot with his titles. And often in some groups of, ex of works, there would be a uh, title, and then there would be a, a short little statement that went with it, like Montel Sleet's Magic Garden would be the title, and then it would say, Model Sleet, well, I'm paraphrasing, but Model yeah. Sleet would be the famous gardener in the neighborhood, something like that. You know, in other words, it would be the title and this little didactic that went with it. Right. And and Al and Murray, Al Murray and Bearden would work on those together. Okay. And so we were doing a show at my gallery and we were starting, we were two or three days before it was to open and before Romy was coming to town, we were doing the labels. And I had the labels, and then I had the little sayings. And I got this idea. I asked Roman, I gave him a magic marker. And you know, he had a very distinctive handwriting. Yes. I said, Romy, I want you to write those little sayings on the wall next to the collage. He said, you want me to write on your walls? I said, yes, Romy. You know, to this day, I wish I would have just cut the sheetrock off the wall, but I <laughs> ended up having to paint over it. But it was really wonderful. to, And I have photos of those, too. Okay. I have a photo of Romy actually writing on the wall. So. So you have a great archive. Do you have plans for it? Well, you know, that that 
gets it kind of gets us back to this little sticky wicket we have. My 16 years of research, which sits on the other side of this wall. And what am I going to do with it? Do I give it to the Archives of American Art, who has already said they'd like to have it? Or do I give it to the Mint Museum? Do I give it to WPI? I don't know. When this, I don't know. It, um, something needs to happen with it. It's, in, it, maybe I'm the only person in the world who thinks it's important, but I think there's a lot of enormous information there. Yeah, you want to keep the legacy, help keep the legacy alive. Yes. Yes. So I'm, I'm really thinking a lot about what I'm, what I'm going to do with it. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you this little tidbit. You know that, uh, did you see our, I can't remember, was our Bearden show on view when you were here? Yes, we saw it briefly. Yes. In the back room, there was one of those wonderful collagraphs. It was in, actually, he did it with shoe polish. That brown one that's of the baptism. Yes. It's on loan approval right now to the Museum of Modern Art. It looks like they may be buying it. Oh, wonderful. Which would be a great thing. Yes. I'd, I'd love for it to go to the mint, but I'm also, I'm also a businessman. I've got to keep myself and my business afloat. Right. And, you know, I, I've been encouraging Jonathan Stuhlman that, you know, he, he changes out that Bearden Gallery about every four or five months. And I've been encouraging him to do a, a change out on the baptism because there's several permutations of it. The Hirshhorn right. owns one. Um, well, the Mint has Carolina Shout. The Mint has a couple others. I'd love to see this one go to the Mint, but I frankly, I can't afford to give it to them. Right. And they can't afford to buy it. Right. But along comes MoMA. Yeah. Which is well, it's good to see a wide audience yes, but for it's also, the work. You know, what a great place for it to go. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, have you seen a change in the market for Bearden over time? Yes. No. Um I used to sell a lot of beards. When I started representing him, and like the show I was just telling you about when he wrote on the wall, yeah, you know, there were collages that were maybe nine by 12 inches, 10 by 14 inches. And at the time, they were $6,200. And today, you Put a one in front of that 62 you know so what's happened is are as there are fewer and fewer of them 
and they have become more and more expensive, the market has shrunk. Not that people don't love the work. It's just that they have, by the nature of their very being, become more expensive. And fewer and fewer people can uh, step to the plate, you know, and and that's 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 sad for me, but but what are you going to do? Again, it's my being an entrepreneur. It's uh at this point too, with the with the uh foundation having very few works. Three or four of the pieces that are in my show are foundation pieces on consignment to me. Everything else in there I own uh, because um, these days it's the only way I can get them. I'll buy I'll, I'll, a typical situation for me is a dealer will call me and say, Gerald, I have a line on a collection of 16 works of art and one's a Bearden and it's not an artist that I deal with, but I know you do, would you be interested? That's how I sometimes find them. Of course, prints I'll sometimes buy at auction. And I have been off and on been a, uh, I don't wanna use the term expert, but I have been consulted by Swan and a couple of the other auction houses about the authenticity of things. And I've seen a couple that are that really uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't touch, you know. Okay. It's 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 tough. I think I think you all have an enormous enormous job in front of you to find everything. Yeah. It's going to be a, a big, long project. <laughs> How are you finding them mostly now? Um, we're still sorting through the information that we're, we're getting to process all of the information so that we know exactly where we're at and what we need to um, keep looking for. Yes. And so, you'll never find them all. No, no. Because of the fact that a lot of things are unrecorded. And you should be thanking me for this. Yes. <laughs> I do thank you for that. <laughs> I do use it to find a, the things. Yes. <laughs> this was this was a lot of work. And my colleague Jane that helped me put this together is uh it's pretty amazing yeah yeah uh it's and so, where, we, where we were able to we of course now it's a lot of years ago but i'm sure you'll go through every every one of these names and see if you can find yes the person <laughs> and where they are now and if it's their uh daughter that has the work or yeah yeah that's the plan that's the plan yeah. yeah so is there anything that you think we should know about Bearden that I haven't asked you 
Um, well, in a in a sense, I think Bearden said it for us with his letter to Clarence. Okay. To me, that is one of the most poignant and important contributions. Uh, he, he was an amazing human being who, you know, I, I think even today, if you look at a lot of contemporary artists, you can see Bearden's influence in their work. Yeah. And, you know, of course, in, in some cases, too much so, but that's, the, that's what makes the world go round, you know? So, uh, I don't, I, I, I don't know if this has been helpful to you. I don't know if this is at all what no, you No, it's been, it's been expecting. wonderful. Yeah. No, I mean, we are hoping to capture everybody's perspective on Bearden, and you've told us an immense story. So thank well, you I so might, much. I may well think of some other things. And if I do, I'll send you an email. Okay. And and let you know. Um, so he he he. I think I told you. Without knowing so, at all, he would intimidate me, <laughs> and, and it was he would intimidate me because of how bright he was. He would intimidate me because of who he was. He would intimidate me by what he made. These, these things, I, you know, sometimes. Well, it seems like it's he the, it's remarkable. The, it's the remembering of things that's almost more so than the actuality. Yeah. And uh, that reminds me of a little something Romy said to me, and then I'll end. I said, "Well, Romy, where did you, where would you get these these thoughts that would make you compose a particular picture?" And he said, "Well, some of them were were my memory, but he said also, he said Gerald." Remember back on your your tenth birthday. What do you mean? You don't specifically remember your tenth birthday. But what if at some point someone said to you, Gerald, you did the silliest thing on your tenth birthday, and then they repeated it to you? Well, all of a sudden that repeating becomes part of your collective memory. And that's Romy said would happen to him. People would give him anecdotes about the South and 
these these and then they would become his collective memory and he said it it doesn't matter if it's uh specific to the moment what matters is if it tells what i'm trying to say you know and uh one time I remember him saying, perfection ain't interesting. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's how it was. Yeah. I have very, very fond memories of the man. Yeah. Your Thank admiration you. is very strong. And I am. Uh, I will forever be grateful to have had him in my life. And, you know, as, as I said in, in my uh, lecture, he's still there, still there. Well, this okay. has been wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time and you are, you sharing are more your than, memories. You are more than welcome if there's something else I think about, I'll let you know if you have any other questions or if, I don't know, who else will look at this? Yeah, well, um, I'm going to stop the recording and then I'll answer you. Okay.